Go. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Uh, this is the Wednesday, April the 10th, 2019. Uh, v Brown Bag for the US. Uh, tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about building a Python SDK for CAS or Cloud Automation Services uh, with the other Cody. Um, some quick notes. Uh, on the left-hand side of the slide here are all of our uh, Twitter accounts for our various V Brown Bag shows. Uh, hashtag to get a hold of anybody at any time is uh, hashtag V Brown Bag. Um, schedule is on the right-hand side. Uh, you can, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, or whatever your uh, podcasting platform of choice is. Uh, I'm your host, Cody Bunch, and our guest tonight is... Hey, guys. It's the other code. It's the other Cody. I will go ahead and uh, how do I make you the presenter? That's the button I need to hit. All right. So we're. I think we've got it. Did it work? All right. Yep, I'm just going to fire up uh, the presentation and we will jump in. All right, are we seeing my presentation or are we seeing the weird view? Uh, I've got nothing just yet. There we go. Sorry. Uh, I've got the presenter view now, so I've got... Better? Maybe. It looks like I'm waiting for a refresh. I saw you hit swap displays, but... I mean, we can roll it this way, too. It's very weird that it's not uh, letting me do the more interesting version. We saw it for a second. Yep. You, you would think we've done this before. <laughs> there we go. All right. Yeehaw. In the game now. Cool. So uh, originally, I was going to have an Australian friend with me, but he uh, decided to go out and do, you know, his his real job for the day. So being on weird time zones, it doesn't help anyone. So my name is Cody D'Arkland. I work for VMware. I'm part of the cloud management business unit. I'm not going to slang any product today. <laughs> I'm here to talk about, here to talk a little bit about uh, Python and something Grant and I have been working on for gosh, probably about a year and a half now, uh, and that's building a Python SDK for the cloud automation services. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what cloud automation services is uh, in this. Um, Want to just dive in, though, and start showing off some of the, some of the things we're going to actually talk about. So we, we named this, uh, this kit Casper, uh, mostly because of CAS, cloud automation services, and then per for the Pi as far as being a kind of code name that we call it. And really, it's a, it's a Python SDK, SDK for cloud automation services. And what it does is it takes the REST APIs that were built into CAS. We call it CAS for short. 
uh, and exposes them as a set of Python bindings. And we'll obviously demo it. I'll, I'll bring it up on screen and we'll go through and show how some of it works. Um, but it makes it very easy to start interacting with the REST APIs that are included in CAS. Uh, anyone who's used uh, VRA and had to interact with APIs knows that we had a long way to come as a company and as, far, as a business unit on how we handle APIs. In CAS, we've taken, as, as best as possible, an API-first approach uh, to the platform. So virtually everything that's available in the in the UI for CAS is available as a REST API as well. And there, there are some gaps and some functionality things that, that aren't that aren't quirky, but or they're a little bit quirky rather. But it's definitely something that we're we're striving towards. We're making a ton of effort around, and and I think we're doing a pretty pretty good job at it. So okay. this so was, I'm going to interrupt sure. you for a second there. Uh, being that I have only been on the periphery of the VMware community the last five or six years. Um, what is CAS or Cloud Automation Services? Like, what, what does that give me? Where, where does that sit? How does that fit? You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, CAS, Cloud, Cloud Automation Services, is essentially the platform that, that VRA is becoming. So it's a software as a service hosted, hosted platform. Uh, it runs alongside things like VMware Cloud and AWS. It lives inside of the Cloud Services portal, right? So it's a, it's a SaaS-based cloud management platform. But what's different about it is that it's heavily focused on multi-cloud. All right, so it, it's an interesting distinction. We've done we've done presentations on vBrownBag on it a few times. And we, talk, we always bring up this kind of one big point, and that's the public cloud endpoints were created for CAS before the vSphere stuff was even touched, right? So it's an important distinction because something VRA never really did very well was pay close attention to the the public cloud space, and CAS was built to to live in to live in and interact with with public cloud. So it's a management platform for deploying and consuming multi cloud from a SaaS portal, essentially. Uh, so it's got a blueprinting engine, it's got a catalog engine, it's got a pipelining engine, and that's a very generic way to label those things. Um, there's a lot of very transformative concepts in it, and I'm going to obviously show the, the UI a little bit as we step through it so you guys can see what I'm talking about as we do some of these API calls. But that's the that's the high level. Okay. Think, think the automation platform and where our cloud automation story is going. Neat. I like to think so. Keeps Keeps me... Keeps me in a job and in uh, VMware licensing keys, so that life is good. So it, it's interesting when we talk about what it is and, and the concept of VRA and automation because it only goes hand to hand that when you would be working in an automation platform, you would start to become very aware of what uh, what APIs are available to interact with. And you start looking at how to consume the APIs of the platform that you're using to build all of these other, other platforms. And like I said before, VRA kind of had a, had a bad reputation of falling pretty flat. We've exposed a ton of those capabilities from an API standpoint in CAS. And we've taken Grant and I have taken those capabilities and those REST calls and we've wrapped them in a set of Python bindings and classes that we can use to do larger scale automation of CAS. A couple of examples of where of where CAS is is used uh, today inside of inside of VMware. Uh, when Grant wrote the hands-on lab for CAS, he actually used Casper to automate the whole thing. So when you log into the hands-on lab, you get an org that's already got things like um, Things like cloud accounts set up, cloud accounts being the way that we talk to public cloud resources. You've got basic project and zone configuration. So there's a whole mess of things that are configured out of the gate inside of the hands-on lab. And all of that is powered by this API toolkit that we've built. 
Uh, likewise, all of our internal enablement. So part of my role as tech marketing is I build internal enablement content for uh, for the products. I've actually done the same thing from a different angle. So I run mine in a I run mine in an API container that I wrote in Flask. Flask is a web framework for Python. Makes it very easy to write APIs um, or write API external facing APIs that can then call Python functions rather. So I wrote mine to live in a Docker container. I host it in Amazon ECS and have the internal enablement environments connect to that to instantiate training training orgs. And I make the joke that we created this to avoid avoid using Postman. But we actually like Postman a lot. I've worked a lot with John Schulman on building his Postman kit. His Postman kit came before CAS even existed. So I, I have to take shots at, at, the, at the quote unquote competition. Uh, and the big thing I wanted to announce, I, I teased on Twitter that there was going to be kind of an announcement. Uh, we actually found out that we're getting accepted into the into the fling program. So we're actually this is actually going to become a real fling. So that was a big uh, a big goal of mine coming into coming into VMware. I always wanted to have my name on a fling. So so that is in the process. I was able to see the staging the staging page today. Uh, we just passed our open source licensing. So we are going to be an open source project that will let people commit in as they work in CAS and they find things that they want to be able to expose as API as well. will actually allow people to contribute to this code and help make it better. So it's pretty exciting. So it was a big awesome. day for us to find that out. Congrats. Congrats. Yeah. So that was, a, that was a massive mouthful. I think what I'll do first, I was going to jump straight into looking at looking at the code and, and exploring around, but I think what I'll do first is just give a quick high level of uh, how high level look at what CAS is. That way we have some context around around what we're what we're trying to do. Sound good? Sounds excellent. Um, while we're while we're waiting for the screen share to come back up, does uh. Anybody live in person have any any questions, any any comments, or doesn't appear that way? And uh, I don't see anything coming in over over the tweeters either. So there we are. All right. So from a mile high overview, this is the cloud services portal. This is where any of our SaaS services live. Uh, in my case, we're going to be talking about cloud assembly, CodeStream, and Service Broker. Those three products make up cloud automation services. So cloud assembly is the blueprinting engine. It's where you build blueprints, you add users to projects, you create cloud accounts and cloud zones, and you build blueprints that deploy to each of those cloud environments. Service brokers like the catalog view and the policy view. So how do we create you know, a catalog that users can consume from, but also bind things like lease policy and be able to expose other types of, um, other types of catalog things like uh, orchestrator workflows or function as a service calls. And then CodeStream, many people know CodeStream, but it's been largely re, kind of redesigned, re, reinvigorated in CAS. It's a, a pipelining tool or it's a pipelining platform, but it goes so much further than just building software deployment pipelines. It also understands the concepts of infrastructure pipelines and how to automate cloud assembly and automate VMware environments as well as building pipelines in the way you would expect. So most of where we're going to live today is in cloud assembly just because that's where we've done the bulk of the of the API work so far. So again, mile high overview. And it's important to understand that the APIs were all designed by our engineering teams in, in Sophia. They've done a fantastic job on building those. I've got to make sure to give them a, them a shout out because they've None of the stuff we did in CAS would be possible without the engineering teams who built the actual, the real API on the back end. So 
kudos to our engineering teams. So when you first come into Cloud Assembly, you landed at your deployment screen. I've got two PKS clusters that I've deployed in here. It's just for some other testing and other integration stuff that I'm doing right now. I'm going to hop over into the infrastructure tab. You'll see all the cloud accounts that I have bound. So I have my home lab that's going to get powered off soon because I'm going to move everything into my VMC cluster or anything that I'm going to move is going to go into the VMC cluster. But then I also have my public cloud services bound as well. So Azure, GCP, which is a little bit unhappy right now, and uh, AWS. So these services or these individual cloud accounts uh, are what create uh, cloud zones. And cloud zones are how you place workloads onto compute resources externally. So we come in, we tag a, tag a zone with a, a tag. And then in our blueprint, we use that tag to place the workload on that endpoint destination. A lot of people ask, so what, why are we doing it this way? Why, why does CAS exist? It's because the majority of customers we talk to want to be able to create a consistent deployment experience between each of these clouds. They want to be able to say the definition of my application is, is this thing as I'm loading it. And they want to be able to choose where it lands and have it deployed consistently to each one of those environments. When we say multi-cloud, it's not like we're saying, let's deploy the front end onto AWS and the database onto, onto GCP and the API tier onto Azure. It's not about multi-cloud stretching between clouds. I mean, there's, there's use cases for that. They're narrow use cases, but they exist. Uh, this is more about being able to take an infrastructure as code approach to creating a consistent deployment model between each of those clouds. On the left, you'll see the different constructs that we can drag out of the canvas. If I drag these out, this infrastructure as code will update on the right. So this is an application I wrote for deploying, uh, just deploys out into any of those clouds. And it's a simple little web interface running, uh, running Clarity UI and API backend and a database backend as well. So I can come in, I can do deploy. <clears throat> I'll do three-tier app. I'll choose AWS, plug in a fake SSH key and it's small, and deploy. And that's going to go out and do, it, do its thing. So we have all of these blueprints that are available in the environment. That's going to become useful when we talk, start talking about the actual Python aspect of this. Uh, digging into the infrastructure stuff more, we have a number of different types of resources that exist. We have these uh, machines that are discovered. So these are all things that have been discovered from my environment. Some of these have been deployed already via CAS. Some of these have just been discovered. We also have a number of inter interact or integrations that we can bind to the environment. So I can add things like VRO, GitHub, GitLab. Those let me bring blueprints in, PKS, Puppet, so on and so forth. So that's a high level of, of cloud assembly. Again, now if I switch into something like Service Broker, you'll see kind of a more catalog-centric view of the world. All right, so I have uh, or we have uh, CloudFormation templates in here. We have blueprints from CloudAssembly. All of these can work against CloudAssembly to deploy these resources into my management environment. So that gives you kind of a mile-high overview of what of what uh, what we're doing in cloud automation services. So how does this play in kind of the automation and Python world, and why why was why did this actually come to be? So a little bit of story time. Long ago in a in a Palo Alto far, far away, there was a beta event. Uh, we were running the, the very first uh, public beta, not public as in customers, but outside of the BU beta for, for cloud automation services. 
And uh, Grant messaged me and said, hey, I need to automate adding a bunch of users to a bunch of orgs. We have an API for it. I've got around 70 users I need to add. I think it was 70 at the time uh, that I need to add to, to these orgs. I got this Python script that does it. Can you, can you do a code check for me and make sure it looks good? And so I took the code and we started looking at it. And I was like, well, you know, it, it, it looks good, but there are some things that we could, we could make this a little bit more extensible, right? We could grow this into something bigger. And that's when the very first module of CAS was started. And I'm gonna switch over to my VS Code real quick and start showing that. Now you're gonna be looking at the real code, the current code. Uh, unfortunately, that the old code is, <laughs> is very, very, very far away somewhere. Um, let me know when you're able to see my VS Code screen. Looks like it should be up. Yep. So the very first uh, module that we ever created was something called the session module. And I'm gonna show this live, I'm gonna show how we configure this, but basically we needed a way that we could do a login against the API, store credentials, and then uh, feed those credentials back in every time that we did a call inside of the platform. And those initial calls were, weren't about doing real, any real automation outside of adding users into the platform. So we knew that we were gonna need to store the, the API information. We knew that the way to get a key was we were gonna use an API token. We would fire that at the cloud services platform. It would give us back a bearer token. We would then take that bearer token and attach it to, where is it? A header that would have authorization in front and bearer and the token. And we'd have to include that in every one of our calls. And the original script would just iterate over that process every time. But when we started thinking about it, it was like, well, we know this is gonna be used multiple times inside of a single session. Why don't we store this data and write some code so that it, if, it, if the bearer token expires, we'll re-request, right? So we're, we're building automation here. And that's when we built the, the very first module that was based on what we called the session module at the time. And that uh, was inspired by a guy named Russell Pope from, uh, he works for a company called Kovars. And he had written a, a Python SDK for, uh, for VRAS automation. And uh, he had done a session module and we kind of roughly modeled it after some of the concepts that he had done in there, but that was, that was where it all started, right? So we built the session module and then we built the, uh, at the time, we just kept it inside the session module and it was user, and we went through and started adding people. So I will show that now on the screen. Let's see if we can do, we can just share the main screen. What? We can get signal. What was that? We get signal, main screen, turn on. There we go. All right, are you, you guys should be able to see my stuff now. You guys should see my terminal window. That's a nifty little power line prompt there, right? Ah, oh, good man, good man. So I'll, I'll touch on it just because this is a, a code session. Uh, so I am, I'm using iTerm2, I'm using OMIZSH with uh, power line as the, uh, as the theme on top yeah. of it, so. So I have my API key stored as an environment variable, which I will not expose to everybody because I'd prefer to keep my API token safe. I'm gonna go into uh, Python 
and I will import a few things. So we'll go import OS. I'm gonna use the OS module so that I can access my environment variables. This is a Python session, so I wanna make sure people are learning how to do Python. So OS is built into Python. I'm using Python 3.6. Uh, or Python 3.7. Python 3.6 is required for Casper, uh, but I'm using obviously Python 3.7. So I import OS so I can use, access the OS uh, environment variables. And then I'm gonna go import, or I'm gonna go from Casper, which is the API kit, and I'm gonna import the session module. Ooh, I need to type everything that I'm supposed to type. There we go. So now if I come in and I do session dot and hit tab, I can see the available session, the available uh, methods. So we've only written a logon or login method. So if I do, and I'm going to intentionally do something wrong here, I'm going to go session dot login os dot dot get because I'm getting a uh, an actual session or an actual uh, environment variable. CSP API token. Oops. So for those who, I haven't watched all of the Python stuff yet, but I don't know if this has been covered. Python is an object-oriented language. So a big part of why we built Casper in Python was so that we could build an object model around all of these uh, different REST API calls. We wanted to be able to interact with these in, a, in an object fashion. Um, being that Python is object-oriented, if you don't assign a variable to many calls, you will get back an object that you really can't do anything with. So if I change that, uh, if I change this to s equals session dot login os dot dot get csp api token, I now have a now have a object that I can interact with. So each of these uh, are aspects that we've built in Casper or methods that we've built in Casper that store this data. Um, how this is done, this is done through the magic of the init module, right? So the init or the init, I don't know if it's called a module necessarily, but it's a, the init uh, command or an init directive within the class. What that says is when this session object is initialized, build these variables. So it takes that auth token, which comes in, right? So that's one of the things I feed into the, to the class. Set the token as auth token, build this headers, or build these headers, headers rather, and then set the base URL. We set the base URL because this is the base URL for the API for CAS, right? So every call that we make is actually appended onto this base URL. So having those variables instantiated lets us very easily reuse this content across a number of calls. Now, I don't really, I can't do much with the session object without something like blueprints or deployments. So let's import, oops, from Casper, import blueprint. Now I've pulled in the blueprint module. The blueprint module interacts with the blueprint slash API slash blueprints URI. And there's a number of, of uh, methods that we've provided. List resources, describe provider resources, delete. So we can delete out blueprints. We can create blueprints. We can do an actual request inside of here. And the request gets a little bit long, so it's a little bit more challenging to, to demo on the fly because you have to come in, you have to build your payload, right? You have to build your actual input stuff for the blueprint. But in this case, we can do just kind of a simple reporting concept, right? We can come in here and we can do blueprint, 
dot, we can see all of the options that exist, list, and blueprint.list, if I just fire this off, it's going to be upset. It expects a session object. So we created that session object by doing s equals session.login. We can do blueprint.list and feed in that session object. And we get a really, <laughs> really big blob of, of JSON back. Now we can make this a little bit smaller by coming in and looking at the main key. I believe it, we dump it out just as a regular, yep, we do. So I can come in here, I can do just zero, and I can pull back the first blueprint in that environment, which is still pretty complex. I can come in here, I can parse this down further and do something like blueprint name, and it'll tell you what the, what the actual name is, right? Uh, I can do stuff like for i in blueprint.list, S print and I can list out all of the uh, blueprints that are available in my environment, right? So we're doing a lot of just reporting here and that's usually when, when I start teaching people about, about how to use Python and how to consume Python, especially with REST APIs, I always go to reporting first because that's where I started, right? Most people are trying to get bulks of information out of an environment. Um, and Python is very good at taking data in and being able to manipulate it and parse it into a useful thing. So in this case, I'm able to pull out all of my blueprints inside of the environment. I could then loop over this and do a blueprints.delete and I'd be really upset and it would be a really rough night because I have a demo early in the morning and if I've, <laughs> if I've killed all my blueprints, I can't use that. Um, but that's, a, that's the blueprint module at a, at a high level. Now let's take a look at how this code actually works when, we do, when we're doing a blueprint.list. So uh, before we move on, we do have a question. Shoot. Uh, can you dump it out in a structured format or something that would look pretty so humans can read? Absolutely. So there is a, there is a module called Pretty Tables and I'm totally blanking on the syntax to do it right now, um, but we could easily dump this out into a, a table format. That's a very common use case, right? So pretty table is a, is a module. Yeah. In fact, and then, uh, there's also, um, so like JSON is a, is a structured format that you can do yes. any number of things with. So you can actually take it and pull it through a pandoc and, and have a pandoc template generate a, a PDF or a Word report or something like that for you. Uh, yep. There's a command line tool called uh, JQ or I think it's JSON query. Yes. Yep. It'll also print it for you. So there's there's any number of modules. And then uh, I believe earlier you mentioned uh, you wrote a Flask app, and I believe uh, Flask, Jsonify. Jsonify has got a bit of Flask in it that'll uh, or Flask has a bit of Jsonify in it that makes it nice and pretty and a little web interface for you. You can also, I mean, if you wanted to get real, like built in right into the into the console, you could do a. I think I'm doing the syntax right here. There we go. You could also dump it out that way. So you could use the built-in JSON uh, JSON directive or JSON module inside of inside of Python. Do an indent of two, or even if you want to spread it out a little bit more and give yourself more breathing room, you can do an indent of four. 
and this will dump it out in a very readable format. Um, but still, there's a lot of content here. So even though it's readable per se, it's still challenging. Some of the stuff that Cody mentioned, not this Cody, that Cody uh, mentioned are probably better ways. I'm a huge fan of using JSON editor online. So if I come in and I do just maybe the first one of these, right? So if I come in and do a, if I grab this, And we fire up a browser. So I had CAS up. We'll go JSON editor online. This is also a very easy way to drop stuff in and parse it. So I've been using this for, for a very long time. Um, and we can see all of the content along with that. And if you have multiple objects, you can paste in a huge chunk of, uh, of JSON and have it kind of immediately parse out for you. So those are those are all options as far as ways to, and ways then, to parse uh, it up. Uh, as, as Tom mentioned, uh, like we don't deserve VS code. There are VS code modules that will do that for you as well. Totally. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. All right. So let's jump back into VS code. Speaking of, speaking of it. So we'll do a search for a def list. There we go. So the list list module we created is, is actually very, very simple and it, but it does something that's very cool. Uh, so, we set a static method, which creates a method that we can call as part of the class. And we call it list and we expect to bring in a session object, right? So this brings in, expect session to come in. We append on the URL that we care about, right? The blueprints API, blueprint uh, URI. We then define out an object for that request. You'll notice here that we're actually calling the previous session module with this underscore request uh, request helper. So this was another thing that, that we, we gently borrowed from Russell, and that's building a better, a better method of doing requests. So we'll jump back over into session now, and we'll search for this, and we will do request. And we can see what it's, what it's trying to do here. Um, if the request method comes in as one of these types, put post or patch, and there is a payload, and that payload is a dictionary, do stuff to it. So we've basically taken that normal request module, the module that does HTTP requests, and expanded it to be a little bit more extensible and be able to massage out the data in the way that we want it to be done. So we are, we're doing logging, we're sending stuff out to our, our logging system, we're doing different things to the data based on if it's a post patch or a git, delete, and that's why we're using this if method and elifs and so on and so forth going down. So we use this session wrapper, the session request mapper, uh, to make our requests a little bit uh, easier to work with, as well as do some standardized things. A lot of this was around logging. I think that Grant put this in when we introduced logging into the platform, when he introduced logging into the platform. And it's because we wanted to have logging done on every single request that came through. So it made sense to do this as part of a standardized call that happened moving forward. Swapping back over into, into Blueprint, we can see that we call that session out and we then return back as part of that list method, we return back that variable and the objects key underneath it. So if we had just done this with just objects or just J rather, it would return back the blob and it would be inside of an objects key. We parse it down a little bit because there's nothing else that we're returning. We just care about the, the objects in that case. Stepping it up a little bit, we'll look at the describe method, right? So we've also added in something called a describe method and that 
gets a lot of detail back out around a specific uh, a specific blueprint request or a blueprint based on the ID. So it's expecting a session object to come in and an ID, and we can see that in the doc strings that were added here. So we'll call it just blueprint equals blueprint.list. Actually, we labeled this already as BP. So we'll go equals BP zero. And then we will go blueprint.describe. And we'll pass in the session object, which we did as S. And now this expects the blueprint ID, so we'll go BP zero, and then we will grab the ID out of it. The ID being a standard uh, standard key that we used. What did I miss? Not entirely sure what I missed there. So we have the ID. We have the, a blueprint ID there. That is, an, that is an interesting one. I'm not sure why that one failed right now. So we'll have to come back to that one another time. We will look at another module now. Let's go ahead and import from Casper import machine. We'll also do from Casper import cloud account. So I do a cloud account dot list we can see all of the cloud accounts that I've bound in the environment. Again, a very gnarly looking, uh, gnarly looking list of uh, JSON representation of all of my accounts. I can take this whole thing and feed it into JSON that are online. I can see all of the cloud accounts that I'm working with. All right, so this one is obviously the AWS account, my vSphere account, GCP, going down the list. So I can parse that out that way and then I can see what each one of these objects are. The API and the way that the engineers built this is we have all of these link objects within here. So I can actually grab a link directly. I could chain this request and have it call this link and it would return back a greater level of detail around the specific object. Conversely, I can do machine.list. And this will list all of the machines that have been deployed. I can do something like a length count on it, right? So I can see how many machines have been deployed into my environment. Just 60, that's gonna count every single machine, including ones that have been discovered. So it's not like I've deployed 60 machines. I can just detect that 60 machines have been deployed. Same thing I could do with the cloud account.list. So list, cloud account, or length, I can see I have six cloud accounts added. So again, getting very basic and doing reporting out was where this, where this started along with being able to inject user, users in. Um, but you can see how taking this data or taking the, these different blocks of, of JSON response back from the API would allow us to do some very creative things inside of the platform. For example, if we're instantiating an environment, we know that cloud accounts are needed, right? So we push in a set of cloud accounts. So in, in the training orgs that I have created, I have a DynamoDB instance that lists out all of our training accounts. 
I have a Python function that goes out and pulls that stuff down from, or pulls the content down from DynamoDB, parses it, finds an available org, and then takes all that data and feeds it back into Casper to instantiate that, that org, right? So it grabs the API keys for AWS, the API keys for Azure, creates cloud accounts, creates projects, invites the user, updates, goes back and updates the, the, um, the DynamoDB entry with the user that's currently using that org, right? So it's a very easy way to chain together all of these events to build automation around a thing. Any, any good questions out there in the studio audience? I've rambled on quite a bit around, around what this is at this point. So, um, sort of, um, as you're doing these various things, so you, uh, you imported machine, you imported cloud account, how do I know what, uh, what high level things I can import from, so when you do from Casper import, like how, how do I know what finishes that sentence? Yeah, so we will have that. So within the documentation, we have a, a readme out there. So if I bring up uh, VMware's repo, the doc will actually list out all of the things that are available to import in, so the different types of uh, constructs that you can work with. This will obviously be being expanded to include the different, uh, the all the other different. Um, methods that are available underneath each one of those. So this is just like essentially the first pass of the documentation. Um, but this will list out all of those. And from there, once you've imported these, it's as simple as coming in into Python and doing something like machine dot and doing tab autocomplete to see what's in, right? And growing it from there. You should also be able to do um, uh, DIR and then uh, machine inside True. brands. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So DIR machine. Oops, but I had to spell it right first. So most of those are listed in there. So. Again, this will be the actual repo. So this is on private repo right now. Only Grant and I and the internal people have access to it. But this will be flipped to, to public as soon as the fling goes live and people will be able to consume it, uh, pull down, add content to it. We have the setup pie to make it very easy to install. So you can just pull this down, run setup pie, and they'll drop those in. So right now, because of my environment, I'm operating out of out of the Casper directory, uh, mostly because I was making some changes and adding some some pipeline commands in. Uh, but yeah, that'll be it. It won't be that way for people who are actually consuming this normal. Now, is there a, is there a way to generate the docs from source or to, uh, so we look, to get it? Sorry. Yeah, no, that's good. So it's a good question. Um, so there are ways to generate it, but what we found was that. And that's, that's how it'll be done for like this. So it's important to note that while this is becoming a fling, this isn't becoming an official product, right? This is becoming a fling. Flings are unsupported. They're usually community driven or employee driven things, not, not part of an actual, if there's a real SDK, it would be going through the SDK team. Uh, that being said, what we found is that when they generate the mass, mass docs and the mass API calls, uh, they don't always come out in a, uh, I would say, easy to consume format, right? We wanted to be able to have, give people the ability to do very specific commands against the API, uh, get, you know, list out, create objects, so on and so forth. And the other, the auto-generated API and when some of the other API tools come out that are official for CAS, they will have a deeper level of API integration, just 
naturally um, because of being that fully auto-generated, but they're going to come out in a likely more complex way. Whereas doing it in Python and being able to natively call the, these individual methods and directives very simply makes it very easy to consume. So there's, it's a tra it's a trade-off, right? You can get the full coverage from API standpoint and have a level of complexity around consuming it, or easier easier time doing it and using using something like the Python kit. And uh, if you are working with these libraries, so if you have them installed in a, a VM or uh, just installed local, um, there are Python extensions for. Again, we don't deserve VS Code for how awesome it is, but you know there are Python extensions for VS Code that'll do like a IntelliSense autocomplete kind of thing, mm -hmm. so you can kind totally. of explore that way as well. Totally, totally. So that's the high level of of what I wanted to wanted to present. Uh, talking about a little bit, uh, and I, when when Chris hit me up about doing this session, you know, it was more about you know how how did Python change things for you? And what's what's interesting is we learned a ton about about Python building this right. Like I felt pretty good about Python when I started, and we go back and look at some of our initial commits into into Casper now. And it's the, the type of code we're using, the type of methods we're calling, the way we're parsing data is so different because we've started to mass consume this, right? When you have 100, 200, 300 people a month hitting hands-on lab environments, you find where things break really, really quickly. Um, you also find the value of documenting and putting comments in and the, the value of not being overly specific in the way you're pulling data back in, right? Being returning more data back is a lot of times better and then relying on yourself to parse it, so on and so forth. Um, this, it's been a great journey. It's been a fun, a fun project to work on. Uh, it's been a taxing project to work on, uh, especially as APIs change and as functionality gets added and problems get solved in different ways. Right. Um, but it's been a, it's been a fun project and it's been, it's been useful and it's taught us a lot. And something I would say to everybody is find a project, you know, if you're looking to get into Python, find something that lets you apply your knowledge in a practical way. Um, for us, this was a, a huge part of that. And it let us get into building classes and neither of us, like we had both built classes before, uh, but building classes at this scale and building classes, and I'm not even saying this is, you know, planetary scale by any means, but building classes across, you know, 10 different modules that are going to interact it, with each other in, in complex ways was a, was a real learning experience. Um, it made reusing code a lot easier. It, gave us a pre an appreciation of doing things in standard ways. It gave us an appreciation of calling each other out for bad ideas <laughs> and, and ways that were going to cause us pain down the road. Um, so again, it's been a, it's been a fun experience. Um, uh, to that point, uh, what were some of the resources you used along the way? So like there's a lot of, uh, uh, draw the rest of the owl sorts of things that come along with writing APIs or SDKs in Python. So like, yeah, here's your yeah. your five minute how to, and then the next thing you hop into is a major project that has you know all of these things. So what is the what did you use to, I guess, level up or so? I wish I wish it was a an easy prescription, right? I mean, a lot of it was, hey, I'm trying to solve a thing and I can't find it, so I'm going to try different <laughs> different Google combinations and see what and see what comes out. Um, a lot of Stack Overflow, a lot of Reddit. Um, 
And then a lot of, a lot of honestly development sessions where we'd sit there and say, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to get this data out. How do we want to do it? Right. Building, you know, is it, is it calling the full, the full JSON back and then parsing it into something smaller and, and restructuring that data? Is it doing an object here? Um, a lot of trial and error, a lot of research along the way. Um, you know, for example, there are things that Grant's implemented that I still don't fully understand because he did research on it and I haven't caught up to it yet, right? So um, it's a, it, it, it's definitely there's no there's no one size fits all to what to how to get up to speed on it. It's a it's a journey. Okay, uh, Mr. Graham, I, like I I accidentally did your last question there, so if you wouldn't mind re-asking it, I. Uh, I broke the question answer thing. Oops. All right. Oh, I see. Uh, I see Graham asking, "Do we version or code uh, code the API?" Uh, we do version. So, if you're asking if VMware as a whole versions the uh, the actual CAS APIs, yes, those have a version behind them. Uh, when you're calling the APIs, you are passing in a version of that API. But we also obviously version control our our Casper toolkit um, in the same way, or not in the same way, but we version it as well against the the GitHub repo. So. I think that was it as far as uh, as far as questions go. That was uh, it's really interesting. I, I learned quite the one Cody talked the other night, and uh, <laughs> us minds were blown. Very good, very good. Well, I appreciate the time. I always love coming on V Brown Bag. We're f we finished a little bit early, but it's better than going way over. So, yep. Let me see if I can't. Go ahead and pull this back. I want to just a little bit. Oh, come on, go to. I should have switched use back. And uh, that's it for the evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you for thank you for coming. We should have the show notes and recording up in the next uh, next little while. That might be one last question. Oh, oh there we go. No, thank you. So, Cody, uh, if we wanted to ask you any questions, how would be best to reach out to you for people who are watching on YouTube or listening on iTunes? Always Twitter. You know, there's there's always, you know, there's always kind of the, the you can email me at, but I'll be honest, um, I'm way more active on Twitter than I am possibly active on, on my email. I leave every day with around 1,000, 2,000 emails in my mailbox. So uh, if you want to get a hold of me, I have TweetDeck open pretty much all day. <laughs> so um, it's easy to pop and ask questions. And don't just ask questions about, about CAS, right? Ask questions about, about Python. Ask me questions about, about coding because that's what I'm I, – I love my job. I love what I do as far as for VMware goes, but I'm most passionate about teaching people things. And if I can help you learn stuff about Python, by all means. Hit me up with questions. I, I want to help you.